Welcome to Tremophonic Audio Stories. Tremophonic, The Sounds of Fear, is a collection of original horror stories presented in audio format. Today's story, Orpheus, was written as a project of passion and is free to listen to. Please visit tremophonic.com, follow our Tremophonic social media and podcast accounts, and share our posts and stories to a wider audience. You can also find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com if you want to support the development of future stories. This is Orpheus. Archive file ORP 278. Designation, classified. Property of International Aerospace Research Institute. Unauthorized possession, distribution, and playing of this recording is considered a violation of Earth Security Article 7. And is punishable by up to 50 years in prison. The following series of transmissions was received, 14 October 2167, following salvage operations, in Belt Quadrant Gamma. Communications Officer Will Stevens. Orpheus Mission Log, Day 278. The Orpheus is now on day 278 of our mission from Mars Base Hawking. The transmission that spurred this mission has now become separable from the background radiation. While in the original recordings the signal was only detectable by frequency analysis, it's now audible to the human ear. To me, this is an incredibly exciting development, but my enthusiasm is not shared by the crew. For reference, here is the original recording from Base Hawking, the only base to have detected the frequency as their deep space sound equipment is the best in the vicinity of Mars. Here is the recording I made from the Orpheus yesterday. Our initial suspicions were correct. There is something deliberate and patterned about this transmission. Its waveform and repetition implies some form of intelligence and technology at its source. So, having reached the decision window location, we are making that decision to continue the outward journey away from Mars to attempt to locate a more definite source. There's still scepticism among many of the crew. I get the feeling that at least half the crew never believed that there was a likelihood we'd make this decision and continue the outward journey. I think they were hoping that we would have made the alternate decision to divert course for outer orbit base Bergson, which is around 30 days travel from here. But as both comms officer and mission specialist, I was required to make the unpopular decision to send us further into unknown space for potentially another year. However, it has been agreed that if after another 150 days, we have not reached the transmission source, we will be forced to turn back to base Bergson as the nearest fueling and supply station. Now that I have a clearer signal to work with, our pilot and I can start to put together an estimated distance and vector. It will of course be an estimate, but given the amount of background interference I currently believe, it's unlikely to be more than 100 days from our current location. I will update this log as and when significant progress has been made. 
and recording. Supplemental, Officer Stevens' personal communication. Hi Mum, hi Dad. If I've timed this right, you should be receiving this in time for Mum's 70th birthday. So, happy birthday. Dad, don't forget that card I left for Mum. I know what your memory's like. So, our project up here among the planets has made some significant progress. As you know, I can't tell you all the details, but it will mean that I'll be travelling for another year at least before I return to Earth. I know we all thought I'd be out here for a long time, but it's only when you're living it that you realise the reality of this length of time. Do you remember me saying that I technically age more slowly this far out? Well, I calculated it. File corrupted. Time is such a strange dimension. You can tell the Ricos that their son, Laurie, is getting on well. Uh, for his first long-haul assignment, he's performing admirably. He's only an ensign now, but Roddy, sorry, Rodriguez, his engineering mentor, uh, reckons he'll be working independently before his mission ends. Captain Jay shares the opinion too. <laughs> he still won't let me forget that you, Mum, insisted on calling him Captain Jason repeatedly when you met him. It may be unusual for a captain to go by his first name, but it's not a difficult name. Anyway, it's time for dinner here. I'll uh, catch up with you soon. Love you. Hugs and kisses. Supplement ends. Communications Officer Will Stevens, Orpheus Mission Log Day 294. It's been over two weeks since my last mission log update. Tensions are high amongst the Orpheus crew. Four of us, including Captain Jay, see the value and purpose behind this mission, but the other five have formed their own social clique separate from us. They're still performing their duties, they recognise that responsibility, and are at least behaving appropriately, but the tensions during our downtime could be cut with a knife. I've been religiously checking and rechecking the signal as frequently as my responsibilities allow me. The problem is that when you listen to and analyse the same sound too frequently, you fail to notice when a minute change becomes something significant. Yesterday, I compared the up-to-date signal sound to the first clean recording we made two weeks ago, and it's definitely clearing up. I don't know if it's decipherable to the human ear, but the frequency graphs are showing more separation in the spikes of frequency. Here is the latest recording. I will continue to make definitive comparison points with time-stamped signal recordings from the last few weeks. This would have been a futile exercise before this time, but the changing sounds might be a way of triangulating a more definitive destination point. I will update again in one week. End recording. Communications Officer Will Stevens, Orpheus Mission Log, Day 301. The crew have become more accepting of the mission now. This could simply be down to their concession that holding a grudge in a confined space for a year is not going to help anyone especially when it can't be changed. 
but I also hope that my sharing of data also played a part in convincing them of the value of this mission. While all my research is in the ship's central computer, and I know the captain checks it regularly, I don't think the rest of the crew have ever had the vested interest to keep an eye on it. After dinner a few days back, at Captain J's request, I put on a short demonstration of the progress that has been made, and the improvements we've heard in the signal. I may not have won everyone over, but I think there's more investment in the mission from a few of the naysayers. Anyway, here is the latest signal recording. Not much to comment on at this stage. End recording. Supplemental, Officer Stevens' personal communication. Hi, Mum and Dad. So lovely to hear back from you. And such wonderful news about Lisa's new baby boy. It breaks my heart that I won't be able to meet my nephew while he's so little. I'll have to make up for lost time when I'm home. I've had some difficult times with the crew here. Not everyone's been on the same page with the mission. You remember Tiffany uh, from the barbecue before we left? She's our pilot, and she's always had my back in these disagreements. But sometimes it feels like it's just me and her against the world. The Research Institute doesn't allow relationships between mission crew, but Mum, you did call it. She and I have grown close. Part of me hopes, for that reason, that we don't get assigned to another ship together. I'll get her to join me on one of these messages sometime. Speak to you soon. Hugs and kisses. Supplement ends. Communications Officer Will Stevens Orpheus Mission Log Day 305 It's only been four days since my last entry, but that's because... I was right. Three weeks of tracing the signal has given me the information needed to triangulate a more precise location. We now know that it's emanating from a location in the asteroid belt. Until we get closer, we can't say much more than that. It could be the source but it could also be a relay or even a deflected signal. Gravity affects radio waves too, after all, just like it does with visible light. There's also too much interference from the moving rocks in the belt and the metals that are contained within those rocks. The sound of the transmission is probably not going to get much clearer until we can establish a more direct line of transmission which will mean manoeuvring around the belt until we can pinpoint a position. Our pilot, Tiff, believes she can get us into... what did she call it? A slightly spiralling sun-synchronous orbit near the belt, uh, at a safe distance, allowing us to maximise our ability to scan the suspected area. I think people forget just how vast the asteroid belt is and how few known rocks exist there. Our point of interest is about as far from Ceres, Vesta or Eros as you can find, and there's no real reference points to base our search on. I will update this log when Tiff has positioned us at the belt. End recording. 
Communications Officer Will Stevens, Orpheus Mission, Log Day 315. We're here, at the belt, and, well, it's stunningly beautiful. Dangerous, but beautiful. We have to remain constantly aware that the belt is not a finite structure, and has no defined edges, of course, so we have to keep the sensors on watch for stray rocks at all times. What I didn't realise was how the gravity and the dust of the belt plays with the light. It's almost as if the red light is dulled, but the greens and blues are accentuated. Our infrared cameras seem to be picking up literally nothing, and we have to assume it's some strange effect of the asteroid metals and refractions of the red end of the light spectrum. Our resident physicist, Orzel, is fascinated, and will be recording his own findings and theories on the matter. Tiff did position us well in order to scan the asteroids, and we are already receiving a less interrupted signal. I'm actually beginning to wonder if the signal is more than just an intelligent data communication, but in fact is transmitted audio recording. The pitch shifts seem to imply that there's a grammar and a speech pattern in the transmission. Listen for yourself. It couldn't be human, as there have been no recorded expeditions to this region before. But that being said, many expeditions over time have gone missing, and presumed to have gone beyond the belt. If it turns out we're here on a rescue mission, it certainly won't be a wasted journey. I will update again when we pinpoint a location. End recording. Supplemental. Officer Stevens personal communication. Hey Lisa. Congratulations. I can't wait to meet little Joseph. I'm so glad you went with that name after all. But you know I'm calling him Joey, right? Fair warning. I heard you had to stay in hospital for a few days. I hope everything's okay. I'm sure Andy's taking care of you though. Mum and Dad seem well in their messages, but I can always read their tone of voice. Give Mum an extra big hug from me. I told you about Tiff before, right? Uh, she's been harassing me for baby pictures, so you better be sending me some soon. Honestly, I think it'll actually help the whole crew. It's always good to get a little reminder of life continuing as normal back on Earth. You were at school with Lorenzo Rico, right? He's up here with us as a trainee engineer. He mentioned you in passing the other day. Completely slipped my mind that he knew you. I never met him until our first mission briefing. But it seems he knows the rest of my family already. Anyway, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Supplement ends. Communications Officer Will Stevens, Orpheus Mission Log, Day 317. It's not taken us long to find a location. It appears and disappears behind an asymmetrical rotating asteroid, so we have to manoeuvre into the belt. With an estimated million kilometres between each significant rock, this shouldn't be too dangerous. But our path will still require careful plotting. Tiff believes she'll have the calculations confirmed by tomorrow. In other news, four members of the crew have been experiencing 
some strange occurrences while we've been in orbit here. They've been reporting an overwhelming sense of not being alone, like catching a glimpse of movement in their peripheral vision when no one's around, or moments of deja vu, but so significantly that they've been predicting events, even catching dropped objects as if they knew it would happen. The crew's reports of these experiences have been remarkably similar. Our doctor, Simmons, is interviewing each of the crew that have reported these experiences, but doesn't believe there's any reason for any sort of group hallucination. I believe Simmons will be writing up his own report and theories on this. Once we make progress with our journey into the belt, I will report further. End recording. Supplemental. Officer Stevens' personal communication. Hi, Mum. I hope Dad is watching this too, and that his golf game doesn't get in the way of sending your next message. Baby Joseph is adorable, the whole crew agrees. I've asked Tiff to come and say hi to you today. She should be here in a moment. The mission's been... weird. I wish I could share more of the details with you. Tiff must have lost track of time. Lost track of time. In the meantime. File corrupted. Supplement ends. Communications Officer Will Stevens, Orpheus Mission Log Day 319. Tiff moved us into our new position yesterday. The location we received the strongest signal from. The gravity, magnetism, and mineral constituents of the belt are clearly having further unexpected effects on the light here. As we moved amongst the rocks, the light distortion became more pronounced. Having already lost the red light spectrum at the edge of the belt, we seem to have now lost the greens and yellows of our vision too. Everything is now only visible in hues of blue. It's making reading some of the computer outputs especially hard and distinguishing colour-coded control panels now requires us to look more carefully at the labels. More worryingly, six out of the nine crew members have now reported visions of some kind of presence on the ship, myself included. Last night, I was doing the final checks of the transmission tower when I felt a chill, like a draught behind me. The only way that happens in a closed environment like this is when someone or something passes you. None of the crew were anywhere near the transmission tower though. When I looked along the link corridor, I saw in the blue light something. It, it's so difficult to put it into words, like a bright glowing sphere of energy not a solid sphere. It was like it was gaseous. See-through. And emitting what looks like vapour trails. But the strangest thing of all was its pattern of movement. After I watched it for a second or two, it stopped. Stationary for about five seconds. It was as if it noticed me and was staring back at me somehow. 
although it was, of course, completely faceless, so I can't be sure of that. Then, with a sense of urgency, it started moving again, this time about three times as fast, continuing away from me down the corridor and turning the corner at the end. There was clearly something sentient about this thing. I've reported all of this to Doc Simmons. He has a detailed log, but I'm starting to wonder if these entities are connected to the signal somehow. They're appearing more vivid as we move closer. But everything we see is so much more difficult to be certain of due to the lack of contrasting colours that we can see here. With everything in shades of blue, it's hard to be 100% sure of what I saw, but I'm not the only one that's seen them. Doc and Tiff both report similar sightings. Unfortunately, the signal is no clearer here than before. But we do have a new location to head for deeper inside the belt, where we believe it's originating from. Tiff will get us there in a couple of days. End recording. Communications Officer Will Stevens. Office Mission Log Day 323? 323, I think. I'm... I'm a couple of days late with my entry. Uh, it's been difficult to make this report. While deep blues continue to be the only colour we can see around us, we've started experiencing... I can only call them time dilations? I don't mean simply things going faster or slower, like movement or speech. I'm talking about missing and repeating time. All the crew are experiencing it. I lost the last two days. I don't know where I was or what happened, but I'm gradually experiencing episodes of it out of order. But not memories, these are experiences. Like I'm living the moment there and then. I can feel the objects, I can hear the sounds. Seconds later, I'm back in the present. It's like I'm experiencing my own actions in a different timeline. But as a result, it's getting harder to know when the present is. I can't remember if I'm in a flashback experience now, or if this is real time. The only unifying factor that the crew can find for these time-lapses, is that they coincide with our experiences of the glowing energy sphere entities, or geese, as we've started to refer to them. When one of these geese is near us for any length of time, we find ourselves somewhere else, unable to account for the time in between. Only later do we start re-experiencing the missed episode. I'm a couple of days late with my entry. The two days I just lost is the longest period of time 
yet that anybody is unable to account for. Seemingly, nobody saw me in those two days, and the crew were worried about where I could have gone. We're all in a defined and limited space. I certainly wasn't outside the ship. No airlock activity was detected. We've also lost a crew member. Uh, Ensign Rico was assisting Engineer Ramirez in replacing faulty equipment, but in front of Ramirez's eyes, Rico started getting taller, but also thinner. Stretched like toffee is how Ramirez described it. All this time Rico's eyes were fixed on him, and a look of shock became froze on his face. When the doc arrived on the scene, it was too late. Rico's ribbon-like body had stretched more than double his original height, and was curled into a pile on the floor. The crew were already suffering mentally, and this has really thrown a punch at our sanity. I do wonder if the geese have always been here, just in a different visible light spectrum. Perhaps their proximity is just as responsible for experiences of deja vu in normal life. Just a theory. It's like I'm experiencing my own actions in a different timeline. The latest recording of the signal follows. We're still on course for the signal source point. Hopefully we'll be there any day now. End recording. Supplemental. Officer Stevens' personal communication. Mum. Dad. I'm not permitted to tell you details, but Captain Jay has allowed me to say something. It's like I'm experiencing my own actions in a different timeline. Uh, we don't know if this message will even send, so I wanted to let you know somehow uh, about Lorenzo Rico. His parents will probably hear about the same time. Same time. Same time. Same time. Same time. File corrupted. Supplement ends. Communications Officer Will Stevens. Orpheus Mission Log, day... I honestly have no idea anymore. So, Tiff managed to get us to the source point. The location we were certain the signal was coming from. But as soon as we got here, the signal... vanished. As if we triggered it to stop somehow. But getting here made our situation a whole lot worse. We didn't realise how bad until too late, otherwise 
Captain J would have turned us around. The blue spectrum is gone. In other words, the entire visible light spectrum is now just darkness. Fortunately, before we entered this zone of invisibility, for want of a better term, physicist Orzel had hypothesized this possibility and had already found the ultraviolet goggles. The ultraviolet spectrum is still visible, but at times I wish it wasn't. We only have two pairs of prototype ultraviolet vision goggles, so we have to take it in turns to perform our duties, and the rest of the time we're in the dark. Orzel suggested that maybe the light spectrum frequencies and wavelengths are being dimensionally altered in some way, Sim some way similar to our experience of time maybe. It, it could all be connected. So one of the pairs of goggles is permanently with Tiff as she tries to work out why the ship won't move from our current position and why we can't leave this location. Once we were locked on course for this location, the computer locked us out. We've been without control of the ship for a couple of days, at least. The other pair is passed by the captain to the next person whose duty is most necessary. Until 20 minutes ago, that was me, and this record is absolutely necessary so I made sure to have the recording controls at hand while I sit here in my quarters. In the dark. Time lapses we've been suffering are getting worse. We often find ourselves getting stuck in loops for periods of time, unaware and unable to remove ourselves unless someone interferes, which is increasingly difficult in the dark. The most terrifying thing, though, is what the ultraviolet spectrum shows us. The geese are not just energy beings. They exist in three-dimensional space. Just not our three-dimensional space. Our shift into the ultraviolet spectrum, or is it even perhaps an ultraviolet dimension? Either way, it has enabled us to see them more clearly, and they're alternate versions of us. Each of the crew has found their ultraviolet doppelganger in their own workspace, seemingly performing their duties. All inhabiting the same space in a few minutes each other. The only ones that have been truly aware of us seem to be wearing goggles similar to our own ultraviolet goggles. But while we're able to see through some sort of ultraviolet dimensional gateway, interaction isn't possible between us and them. We have tried. Objects cannot be passed between us, and sounds cannot be heard. Writing works, but requires the doppelganger to 
also be wearing the goggles. The only thing we do know is not to try and touch our own doppelganger. We found that out the hard way. Two versions of ourselves that we're aware of might actually just be two of many. Tiff, bless her, with her goggles, saw Engineer Ramirez interacting with his own doppelganger on the bridge. But when the two entered the same physical space, parts of them stretched and entwined, while other parts did not. She said it was like somebody part solidified like stone, while others stretched like a putty, until his body was no longer recognisable as human. And his stretched, screaming face resembled that Edvard Munch painting. Other than the unfortunate Ramirez, Doc Simmons has spent the longest time with his doppelganger, and through careful written interaction, has confirmed most of the established facts and theories I've spoken of, which he fills us in on while we sit together in the dark at mealtimes. It's strange, though. Our doppelgangers always seem a few steps ahead of us, like they're performing similar duties to us, in the same order, but asynchronously to us, about two minutes ahead. It's like a weird childhood nightmare I used to have of arriving at school to find another version of myself already sitting in my seat in the classroom. At least, now, I'm wondering if that was only a dream. Ensign Andres suggested that the two versions of ourselves that we're aware of may actually just be two of many, perhaps even infinite versions of ourselves. Perhaps even infinite versions of ourselves. Perhaps all inhabiting the same space in a few minutes ahead or behind each other. That one really got my head spinning. Maybe the light spectral frequencies My first call of duty on my shift was to send for help from base Bergson, but like the last week or so, we seemingly can't transmit from the belt. I don't want to undermine Captain Jay's command, but I do wonder if, instead, I should be sending a warning to not follow us into the belt. But in any case, we're too deep now, in the belt, for any call of any kind. We can't transmit. It's likely we're trapped here indefinitely. We can't transmit. It's likely we're trapped here indefinitely. Oh, <laughs> 
Data corrupted. File ends. Archive note. The International Aerospace Research Institute has no record of an Orpheus mission. Records indicate that this log describes the crew of the research vessel, Argo. Captain Jay Weathers, Pilot Tiffany Haywood and Mission Specialist Communications Officer Will Stevens, are confirmed members of the Argo research mission. The Argo went missing after losing communication, when passing Mars Base Bergson in October, 2167. The content of file ORP 2-7-8, has been deemed a hoax, and classified to prevent speculation. End of archive file ORP 2-7-8 Thank you for listening to Orpheus, presented by Tremophonic. Orpheus was written, performed, recorded, and edited by Richard Wilson, with music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio, theme music, samples, and foley effects, from Fesleyan Studios, Pixabay, and Mixit.com. Don't forget to follow Trimophonic on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Trimophonic.com. And keep an eye on podcast channels for our upcoming stories. As a self-funded project, we would appreciate any support you might be willing to give us on Patreon.com forward slash Trimophonic or BuyMeACoffee.com forward slash Trimophonic. Thank you for listening.